Our scripture today is found in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28 and going through verse 40. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there with me. If not, the verses are going to be on the screen behind me. It's Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went up on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he, appro- as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Would you pray with me? Well, God, we are thankful and we are grateful to get to come together and gather around your word uh, on Palm Sunday, God. And in this space, God, we just recognize your presence in this place with us. We recognize you here. And we pray that as we enter into this time of coming around your word, any hindrances that would keep our mind's attention and affection on you, would you just cast those out from us right now? And God, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive whatever it is that you have for each of us this morning. And I invite the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do, which is come into each of our hearts and draw us deeper and deeper into the Father's heart. So God, we love you and we trust you and we give you this time And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Well, as some of you know, but some of you in the room probably don't know, as I've mentioned before, I spent about three years of my life living in another country, specifically living in Honduras. And uh, that season of my life changed me tremendously and shaped me into the woman that I am today. But as I was preparing to go on this trek of not moving to a different city or a different state, but moving to a different country, uh, many of my friends and family and just people that I loved would commonly say one thing over and over again. 
oh, Megan, don't worry. When you move, I'm going to come visit you. And I would look at them and say, yeah, yeah, you are. Because I, I, I knew and I understood the genuine intention that there was to maybe even soothe my aching heart as I'm about to leave what I've known uh, to go really into the unknown. But as most of you, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've moved to a different city or a different state, maybe even a different country. Uh, oftentimes, the experience is genuine intention without follow-through action. And so rather than to set myself or them up for disappointment, I would receive their good intentions and essentially just leave it at that. Like, that's so sweet. Thank you so much for saying that to me. Man, but I tell you, um, I... In the, in the almost three years that I was there, I was trying to count today, counting back, um, I had like 12 to 15 friends or family members come to Honduras in the time that I was there. They uh, spent their money used their vacation days. Uh, my sister came with her two best friends on their college senior year spring break. You want to talk about a sacrifice, okay? They came to spend that with me, and that number excludes the 30 people that came from my hometown on mission trips to the organization that I was working for, and uh, that group of people specifically, uh, you want to talk about making sacrifices to come and visit. They learned how to make traditional and authentic tamales and sold them to fundraise $7,500 for the project cost to get to come and be a part of what I was doing there. And more importantly, what God was doing amongst the people of Honduras and man, when I think about it and I reflect over that experience of, of really being wrong, <laughs> of having so many people come, I am blown away by the amount of people who went out of their way to make a way to me. They went out of their way above and beyond to make a way to me. And not just to me, to get to Bless and be blessed by the people of Honduras and just be a part of the richness of what God was doing in that space. And today, as we look at our scripture, as we look at our text, the triumphal entry of Jesus, the beginning of what we now call Holy Week or Passion Week, I too believe that we are going to be struck in awe and wonder of a God who went out of his way to make a way to us. But unlike me, where I didn't have an expectation for people to actually come and to visit me and to see me in Honduras. Uh, the people here in our scripture were long expecting Jesus to come. 
There was a long expectation for Jesus the Messiah to come and make a way to them and for them. And they were jubilant in response to his coming. The triumphal entry, the long-awaited entry of Jesus, not only for the disciples, but for everyone who was awaiting deliverance from Roman oppressors. They were ecstatic to see Jesus coming, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, meaning that their deliverance was arriving at his hands. And many of them had just recently heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So they knew what he was capable of. And they were eager to watch him do abundantly more as they delivered, as he delivered them from their oppression. And what a better time for Jesus to do this than during Passover. Passover. Passover was the first of three major Jewish feasts that were celebrated each year. The feast was to commemorate the deliverance of ancient, ancient Israel from Egypt. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem was packed with thousands and thousands of pilgrims flooding into the capital city once a year to remember and celebrate Passover. So as, as these Jews went to remember their deliverance from oppressors in the past, they were longing for deliverance in their present. So in this account of Jesus' triumphal entry, before Jesus even enters the city, we see he sends two of his disciples to go and get a colt for him to ride in on. And what stands out to me as I'm, as I'm reading this account of Luke is the reason that Jesus gives to the disciples to say for needing the colt. He said, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you were untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, and as he had told them, as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Why? Why? Why does the Lord need the cult? Okay, because I understand, like, Jesus was fully man and fully God, so maybe his physical human body was tired, but yet on his trek to Jerusalem, he had already made stops that would have given the opportunity for rest. And in the path that he chose to go into Jerusalem was downhill. And so there, there wasn't a, a need for this cult because the rest of the path that he was walking was treacherous. 
So if he, if he didn't need it because he was tired, or he didn't need it for ease of travel, or, or any other real human ailment that could have, could have kept him from entering to Jerusalem, why does the Lord say, when they ask you why, the Lord needs it? He needed it to fulfill prophecy. This story is one of a handful of accounts that we have of Jesus' life where in every single gospel, this same story is recorded. And I love that. I love that because in my mind's eye and imagination, I am watching the disciples witness this, this event and, and then later recording down what happened in each of their personal accounts and in the details in which the Spirit gave them to write down and others not, it, it's this beautiful thing to imagine. But then as we bring all four of those count, accounts together, I believe we get this fuller picture, this fuller picture of what was actually taking place in this historic moment with Jesus. And so in the Matthew account of this entry, we see Matthew quote Zechariah 9, 9 in its entirety as the explanation for why the donkey was needed, a fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. And Zechariah 9, 9 reads like this, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And in the Mark account of this same event, we see Mark specified that the donkey that Jesus rode in on was a colt that had never been ridden before. And... Mark adds the detail that Jesus would return the colt. I just personally love that little added detail because, God, we got a good God that even in this historic moment, he's going to use that colt and he's going to return it. He's going to bring it on back. I mean, if the, if, the people, if the people knew what was happening here, I'm sure they were like, no, Jesus, we're good. Like, you can, you can keep it, my man. But no, we got a good God who's a good man. But the colt itself had never been ridden before. And this was also an important detail because in, there was a rabbinic tradition that no one should use the animal on which the king was to use. And so in this moment, Jesus' ride in, this is his public declaration of being both Messiah and king of Israel. By intentionally fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy, and riding in on an animal who had never been used before. This quote from an academic journal called the Lexham Geographic Commentary on the Gospel shares the scene in this way. From Bethany, Jesus took the path up the ridge towards Bethphage and reaching the village sent two disciples into it to fetch a donkey and its colt. Mounting the colt, Jesus proceeded to the crest of the Mount of Olives, overlooking the city of Jerusalem and its temple mount. 
And as he drew close to the descent down the western slope of the mountain, the crowd of pilgrims erupted around him in praise and declared him the messianic king. So why did the Lord need it? Because we needed him and need him. The Lord needs it because we need him. And he knows we need to know who he is and how he meets our need. The people of the time then and us today needed to see proof, proof that the Lord is who he says he is. The people then and us now need to know that we have a God that went up and out of his way to make a way to us and for us. The Lord needed it because we need him. In this making a way of Jesus, going out of his way to make a way to us and for us, is continuing is continuing the narrative of Jesus as king being anything like the people expected him to. Because Jesus coming as king was humble, riding on a young donkey, not a war-raging tyrant strapped on a horse ready, ready for battle. He didn't come in with swords ablaze and chariots aplenty. He came in as palm branches were waving and his people were worshiping. As he showed publicly that he was the promised Messiah and that the nature of his kingdom come is peace. Is peace. In John's gospel account of this event, we see the specificity of palm branches being waved as the shouting of Hosanna or save us is happening. Palm branches are a sign of peace and victory in the Greco-Roman world. And people were not only waving these branches as Jesus was coming, but they were laying cloaks before him as the donkey would ride over as a sign of homage to royalty. That they would lay their garments down as Jesus would enter the king. What a parallel we see here of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem to Jesus' entry into the world. Jesus entered the world through the humble vessel of a young virgin birth. And, and people came from afar worshiping and came to lay gifts at Jesus' feet, recognizing him as the promised savior who was prophesied and promised to come. And finally, 
in Luke's account here, we see the Pharisees here at the end trying to get Jesus to rebuke the crowd for declaring that he was king. And Jesus ends up rebuking them by saying, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. If these people were silent and not to give worship and honor and praise to the king that is Messiah, the very stones of the earth would have to erupt in praise. Jesus' entry was going to be triumphant whether the people declared him as king or not. And in times before this entry, as we watch, it, watch Jesus' ministry here, he was, he was kind of being low-key about being the Messiah. You know, there's stories of he would heal someone and be like, don't tell anyone. Or he would go over here and preach this awesome sermon. It's not time yet. He, he, that, was, that was kind of Jesus' deal. But no, he was saying the appointed time is now. Now is the time that we recognize Jesus as king, and the king has come. And so, since the time has come, let all of heaven, all of earth, all of the people, all of the grains, even the rocks of the earth, of the past, let us all erupt in praise and welcome the king. This scene uh, makes me think of one of my favorite worship songs uh, called So Will I. And the entirety of this song lyrically is speaking over and over and over again about the glory of creation, how creation echoes the glory of God. And if creation will praise him, so will I. So will I. But even if I don't, it will. Creation will rise up in praise and display the beauty and splendor of the one that created it. Isaiah 55, verses 12 through 13, talks about creation being our sign of the Lord's renown by saying this. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Mountains and hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Oh, that we would be a people that would join the stones, the rocks, the mountains, and the seas, singing praise to the one who went out of his way to make a way for you and for me. that we would exclaim with creation that we too are created to display the beauty and splendor of the one who created us. That we would be a sign that the Lord's glory endures 
forever. We have a God who went out of his way to make a way for us. The Lord has come. The king has arrived. Let us praise him forever with our banner lifted high. Let's pray. God, what a beautiful truth to reflect on this day. Palm Sunday. When when it was no longer at all a secret that you are king. And God, the, the beautiful scene of, of my mind's eye when, I, when I'm thinking about this coming and, and, and all of the praise and honor and glory that was due your name, and yet you still chose humility. You still chose to ride in on a colt. And you did these things for us, not because we, because you needed it, but because we did. We needed to see and know the proof that you really are who you say you are. That you're a God who's trustworthy and true. That you are the long-awaited one that our hearts have been longing for. God, would we celebrate that truth today that the king has come, the king has arrived. Oh, may we worship him. May we lift our banner high. And as we continue this morning, I pray over this offering, this offering that we are about to receive may Uh, this offering be used to continue the blessings and the ministry in the life of covenant. And so, Father, you are good. You are a good God who is trustworthy and true. God who made a way, went out of his way to make a way for us. So, Father, we love you and we trust you. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus.